Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Mary Simon, and it's been a while since I've been on a recording, so I'm happy to be back. Welcome back. Thank you so much. And I'm joined today by Liz Lenovey and Megan Crow and Elizabeth McNulty. I really want to talk today with everybody about this concept of focus groups, you know, what they are, why do we do them? They're a normal part of our practice. But I forget that it's not something that everybody knows about. When we say that we have a focus group for one of our cases, oftentimes, even if it's a, an attorney who I'm talking to, they'll ask, you know, what is that or how does that work? And what does your office do to put together a focus group? So today, I just want to talk a little bit about that. So a focus group, essentially, I guess even in social sciences, people can do focus groups where you're trying to just facilitate a discussion between a group of people. You know, companies do them maybe with a new product or to pitch a concept or throw out, you know, a theory and see what people might think about it. And focus groups in our practice as plaintiff attorneys, we're focusing our case and presenting the two sides of our case, our side and the defendant's side, and having a group of people come together to talk about it. Really, we let those discussions go whatever way the focus group is going to take it, but it's to really get a grasp on what the issues are in our case. Maybe a focus group will start thinking about things that we aren't thinking about, or we are way overthinking an issue that we think is going to be an issue for a potential jury, and it doesn't come up at all in a focus group. And in focusing our cases, the whole premise is essentially getting our case to kind of a mock jury. We use the term focus group, but really it's kind of like a trial run with a jury to see what a random group of people thinks about our case. So essentially, when we are setting up a focus group, we want a group of people to come together and listen to both sides of a case that we have that's going to trial. And we don't tell the people who are hearing our case what side we are on when we're presenting the case. So, Elizabeth, I know you've had a great deal of practice with focus groups. And what's the best way that you go about setting it up? Well, I've been involved in cases where we focus them in person and then also where we did it online. And that's obviously easier. Cost is much lower and you get results a little bit quicker. But the downside of that is obviously people that are being compensated to do it might not be putting in their full attention. And so when you bring them in the office live, you get better focus from people and you know that they're paying full attention. You get to engage in discussion with them. In the past, we've used services that go out and find people who would be in the juror pool. So whatever county our case is set in, they would find people who were interested in participating in a focus group without any idea of what law firm we work for or anything like that. You know, we cover up the sign on the door. They're given instructions on where to go, but no one's ever told, you know, who we work for or who we represent. And then they come in and they're given kind of like an opening slash closing, like a little bit of a hybrid from 
both sides, a plaintiff and the defense. I haven't been involved in any cases where we've done like actual witnesses. I don't know if that's something that you could do. Could I jump in with a question? Yeah. Just because my experience with focus groups has been solely online, which is where we submit everything and then it goes to people I never see and then I get responses and I don't get to have one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I'm really curious about this experience that you've had with people live and in a room. That feels much more like a mock jury, like what you said, Mary. In that situation, you said the plaintiff and the defense both present an opening. I guess we have one of our attorneys playing the defendant as well, or the defense attorney in that situation, correct? Right. Okay. So it's just, it runs through, at least through the opening, and then you said no witnesses, though. I've never been involved in one where we've done witnesses. It's more like they're told, you know, what the witnesses would say or have said, and it's mostly just the experts and then, like, the defendants. I've only done in-person ones in med mal cases, just so we're clear. So, which are very expert heavy. So that is mostly like our experts are saying this, their experts are saying this, and the defendant doctor is saying this, and like, this is what our client suffered, so on and so forth. And also the room that they're in, the jurors are all being recorded and we're sitting in a room watching them and their reactions to things. And then also once it's over, once everyone's presented the evidence or what the evidence is going to show at trial, they break up into groups with kind of like questionnaires that you draft beforehand that have like what the verdict director would look like. So what the jury is going to answer, but also other questions that you might have for them, like, was there anything confusing? Is there anything you didn't understand? Is there anything you wanted to know more about? And also you can craft it into whatever issues you think are in the case. And then also, I mean, one of the main things I think we want to know is what kind of damages they're going to give and what they value the case at. But they deliberate and we get to watch them deliberate. Obviously, they know they're being recorded and people are watching them or, you know, that would be weird. But that is the main reason to do it is to hear what their deliberations are and what they focus on. Because I think, Mary, you touched on this at the beginning. You're doing it kind of pretty close to trial, maybe, you know, a month out, three weeks out. And that's where you're probably in the most in the weeds. Like you've gotten really deep into the case and you kind of sometimes can miss like really obvious things that you're either not explaining well or maybe it's an issue that you didn't see before that you need to figure out how to deal with it in front of a jury. So I think that that's a really valuable thing that a focus group can help us figure out. Now, does the focus group, similar to how in Missouri here, our civil juries have to reach nine or more in order to reach a verdict, does the focus group have to reach a verdict or do they just get to say their opinions in their quote unquote deliberations or do they actually have to go in there and pretend like they're deliberating, like they really do need to reach a verdict on this case? From the ones that I've been involved in, they're told to discuss it and act like a real jury. So they are engaging in discussion with each other and trying to kind of flip each other to get them to believe what they're saying, because I think that that provides the most value. But at the end of the day, like we're not going to spend eight hours here if they can't reach a decision. But it also depends on how many people you get in, because we the one I was involved in, we separated them into three groups at the end, just so like everyone was involved in the discussion. And I think that that helped a little bit. So it's not exactly mirroring, you know, it's not just 12 people. Okay. Another point on that is we obviously want as many people as we can get. You can have further reach using the internet, obviously, than you can getting people to physically come to a location where you're putting on your focus group. And I want to talk a little bit about what an in-person focus group looks like. So, Elizabeth, you kind of talked about how we'll have people come in with the assistance of a company or sometimes even another law firm will help us 
I have been part of many focus groups and attended ones that are at our office. I've also gone to other locations that are kind of like a neutral, you know, office building. So we don't have to go through all the hoops of hiding, you know, the sign on our office. But what will happen is either an attorney at our office or a staff member at our office. I've also worked on ones where another attorney from another office who is willing to help us on the case will come in and essentially they read, the same person will read our side and the defendant's side to keep it as neutral as possible. So you won't even have the difference of, you know, a different personality. Yes. It could be a room of 40 people who are all sitting there and they just get to see the same person, usually in jeans and a t-shirt, reading, hey, here's the facts from the plaintiff's perspective. And then we'll read the opening statement, so to speak. All of the names are changed. We're not using the names of the parties. Same with witnesses. And then the same person will end that opening statement and say, all right, and here's the facts from the defendant's point of view. And we'll read what we anticipate the defendant's opening statement to be. Something with in-person focus groups that I really like is we want to build the defendant's case as much as we can. We're not trying to overprove our case. We are trying to put the best defense forward to really see what we could be up against. I mean, we want the defendants, you know, the defendants are going to have their best day, obviously, at court. And we want that same thing to happen when we're presenting this to a group of people. And one way that this plays out is if in the case we have, you know, 20 issues that we know will be issues that the jury will have to think about, we might not include every single response we have to those issues that the defense wants to put out. We might really expand on the defense issues and the strength of the defendant's case and just see whether or not the jurors, air quote jurors, are willing to adopt that theory. That helps us figure out what parts of our case we need to strengthen or that we don't need to worry about as much. Yeah, Mary, to your point, I think one of the benefits of doing a focus group is not only to hear what other people think about your case, but really the exercise of going through and preparing what's essentially a defense case helps you strengthen your own argument and just helps you personally prepare for trial. It's almost like, you know, preparing an outline in law school. You can read other people's outlines and study from them just as you can, you know, read the defendant's pleadings and stuff. But until you go through and do the work yourself and sort of put together the argument for yourself, you don't realize the areas that, you know, you really need to hit home on or really combat in a different way. And just I think it's just a helpful exercise for the attorneys personally. I've got a question, again, because my experience has been solely doing virtual or online focus groups. And something that I really struggled with because I do a lot of medical malpractice is how deep into the medicine do you really go? Like we work on very complicated cases and we really have to study and learn the anatomy, the surgery, all of the potential outcomes from, you know, XYZ negligence that we're claiming a doctor did. Or if it's a baby case, we got to talk about fetal monitoring strips. It gets very complicated and we spend the time to learn it. And obviously, once we get to trial, it is our job to then spend hours with the jury teaching them on the medicine. And that's a really heavy task. And then when I think about focus groups, the thing that always gives me a lot of pause is I can sit there and I can tell you just sort of a recitation of the facts, like in an opening. If I, you know, I have half an hour to explain this case to you, I can distill it down and do that. But when we really do the deep dive into the medicine, which is going to be the evidence in the case, I guess, how far into it do you go 
Or, you know, do you have to sacrifice some of the detail both for time and for understanding and, you know, just what you can actually relay yourself versus what you have to rely on your expert to present? How do you work around that or get around that issue of just medicine's complicated? How am I going to explain this in a focus group? Well, it's funny that you mention it, Liz, because almost always in my MedMal focus groups, I will start out with saying medicine's really hard and it's going to be really complex and it's so hard to understand. One of the things that I love about focus groups, too, is you're just talking to people. You're not writing for a judge. You're not writing an appellate brief. You are literally writing something so a person can read it. So in a focus group that I've worked on before in a med mal case, I literally will say at the beginning, this is a case about X, you know, and I'll condense down what I think the case is about to one sentence. And then after that very, very short introductory sentence of what it's about, I will say, in order to understand what happened, here's a little bit of anatomy to understand. And then I will really dumb down, and I say dumb down for even myself, I will really dumb down the anatomy. I'll find another analogy even for certain systems in our body of how they work, you know. And then I use the defense side to really get more into the weeds on the medicine because, quite frankly, I think that is how it plays out in court. I will start out on the defense side saying bodies are so complex and the system that's involved in this takes a lot of time and doctors go to medical school for how many years to just learn how to do this one thing and the plaintiff's trying to make it seem too simple and it's not. So I will get way more into the weeds on the defense side, mostly because that helps them a lot. And I think at that point, you kind of get your feedback and can understand, okay, what did the jury need more explanation for? What did they get? And was that simple explanation enough? And sometimes it will point out to you like, okay, when we do this for real, the live show, essentially, like what parts do we need to explain better while still keeping it simple? Do you include visuals? I have before. And I think that, I mean, even in trial, that's like the easiest way to explain something. The case that comes to mind was about a brain surgery and everyone kind of freaks out when they hear brain surgery. It sounds really complex. The case was actually pretty straightforward, took stuff out of the brain that wasn't supposed to be taken out. Right. And <laughs> the easiest way to do that is to show it with photos, like mock up drawings of what it looks like inside the brain. These are the parts you touch. These are the parts you don't touch. Stuff like that needs to be thought through in advance because you need to send them to your expert and you need to have the expert use them in his or her deposition and provide the foundation to get those into evidence at trial. Obviously, you could use those in your focus group without having done all that, but then it's kind of in the air if you could use it at trial or not. But I think kind of the thing that we take away from focus groups is, you know, when you're looking at med mal cases, when they come into the office, is this simple or not? And if it's not, like, is it really worth taking? Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to get a jury to understand the medicine. And if it's simple, great. If it's not, that just makes our job even that much harder. In addition to using photos, you can also order and use, like Elizabeth, in your case, a model brain. Like you can actually bring one in to show in-person focus group what happened in the case in the same way you'd want to present it in front of a jury. Now, one thing that's interesting about in-person focus groups that doesn't happen with online focus groups is that they will sometimes ask questions. So I have been in an in-person focus group in the room as the group is deliberating. Nobody knows that I'm an attorney. Nobody knows what side I work for. And I just said that I worked at one of the lawyer's offices. That's what I said. And I just sat in a back corner and with my notebook and just listened to them. And sometimes they'll ask questions. 
I didn't answer any of them. I just said, you know, I'm not really sure on some of the issues. But even them asking questions saying, hey, do you know anything more about, you know, whether the doctor had access to this, this and this? Or do you know whether or not the hospital had a system where they could actually see if the patient was A, B or C? Like, you know, and then I'm thinking, oh, monitoring and what did the doctor know at what time seems important? So that's also really helpful for an in-person focus group is not only do you get to um, see how they're interacting with each other, but you can even tell by the way someone's asking a question or they need, they must know a piece of information in order to continue on in the conversation. You know, that stuff is really highlighted. The one time that I did that more recently in person where I was like, I'm just going to sit in the room because I need to hear what they're saying. It wasn't even one of my cases. I attended it on behalf of some of the attorneys in this office who couldn't make the focus group for whatever, but I was happy to go because it was the first time that I was really hearing it. And I was even able to take away issues. And there was information that I wanted to know about by the end of it that I didn't even know just because I hadn't worked up the case. So I think it's helpful to have somebody in the room who wasn't one of the attorneys on the case because it kind of gets them thinking. And in the focus groups that I've been a part of in person, Liz, you asked about, you know, verdicts, if people came to a verdict. And it has gone down both ways in my experience. I have witnessed live focus groups where they very quickly will raise their hand and say, "Okay, we all obviously think this was negligence or something. And everyone will raise their hand very quickly. And I mean, that's not most of the time, right? But I have seen that happen before. And then they'll spend the bulk of their time trying to figure out amounts of money. And I actually think that part was quite terrifying, if I can say so, because there was absolutely zero rhyme or reason as to the amounts of money that were getting thrown out. And it makes sense. I mean, they're going off of what they know without, you know, much information. And they were just throwing out their salaries and saying, what's everyone's salary in? You know, well, we're not going to say that this person should have more money than the person who makes the most in this room should get, surely. So let's just figure out who has a salary and like, how old are you? And you're probably going to live how many more years? Let's just do some math and that'll be it. And then I've been in in another focus group when someone just shouted out like, two million sounds good. Everyone think two million. And some people are like, eh maybe a little bit more. And the same person just, I think, wanted to move it along and said, okay, 2.5. How about 2.5? Can we just, there was just zero, you know, all of the things that we would think would go into calculating a damage or putting a value on the damages. It was just absent any of the thoughts that I as an attorney would have when they're coming up with money damages. I mean, that tracks because I remember you know, in closing arguments where we say now we're going to talk about economic damages. That's really easy to put a number on because we've got these bills. We've got lost wages. We can tell you the life care plan. That's really easy. Non-economic damages. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea how to guide a jury other than I think what we try to do, what we strive for is we want to maximize that by just showing the effect that this has had on a client. And the best way to get that information across for non-economic damages is through the client. The client has to get up there and explain the damages or someone in the client's you know, close circle, whether it's a family member, a spouse, a child, a friend, someone that can talk about these sort of really squishy numbers. 
it is truly impossible to put a dollar amount on someone's pain and suffering and loss of consortium and enjoyment of life and mental anguish. That's not something that is easily calculable. I can't put that into an algorithm and it, you know, shoot out a number for me. And so I think it's interesting with the focus group, they're not meeting the client. They're not hearing firsthand what those damages are. They're hearing someone give a summary. And certainly I can say, well, I feel for someone who has gone through this experience. You know, if you work with someone who's in a wheelchair or has suffered, you know, a burn or something like that, I can say, well, I can imagine that that's really painful and that that's really difficult. But that is a completely different experience than hearing it from the person themselves. That's what's going to get me to feel emotionally connected to that person. That's going to be, you know, the tearjerker part of the trial. And so it's interesting to me how we're asking the focus group to you know, throw out a non-economic number when really they don't have much to go on, you know, and maybe that can help you focus in on trial about, OK, well, you, maybe this came up. Someone made this comment. So we need to highlight this with our client or maybe we need to downplay this with the client. But that's just interesting to me to hear people are just kind of making it up. <laughs> Right. I think when it comes to valuing cases through focus groups, you really have to take it with a grain of salt because it's kind of one of the hopes of a focus group, I think, that you can maybe see what a jury would value your case at. I wasn't personally involved in this one, but a case I was working on had a focus group done with it. And it was a new type of case that we had never really had that kind of claim before. So we wanted to know what people would value it as. And I just remember hearing some wildly different numbers. There was people saying this is worth $15 million and people throwing out like $100,000 and just everywhere in between. And so in cases like that, you know, what do you take away from that? And then also when it comes to valuing cases, you know, any given jury could think of something so differently than people in your focus group. So I think although we would like like to use focus groups as a way to value cases, it's really hard. But I think in especially non-med mal cases, because med mal cases, generally the ones we're working on, big life care plans, that's kind of the guiding light of what we want the jury to look at. Pain and suffering, obviously, but, you know, it's capped in Missouri. But non-med mal cases, I think, are where we find the most value in these types of focus groups because it can be really hard to value them. And we get so close to them and we're like, this case is worth $500 million. It's like, no, it's not. Like, let's bring it back down to right. earth. But like, <laughs> yes, it is. Right. And so it can can be really helpful to see where people in this area, what their demographic is like and what they're thinking as far as how they're valuing the case. Because we get information, even if it's online, like how old this person is, you know, what their race is, what kind of work they do, how much money they're making per year and where they live. And obviously it's generally within the county we're trying the case in. And that can kind of shine light into what a juror on our panel actually looks like and what they might value the case at. And so I I think that can be helpful because certainly everyone's heard of cases where plaintiff's attorney asks for too much money, but they have a good case and then they get, you know, turned down by the jury because they just asked for too much. And so I think that's always something we need to keep in mind and how focus groups can be helpful when we're kind of working with cases where, like you said, it could be worth $100,000 to other people it could be worth $100 million. So it's helpful in that sense, I think. I think that also raises a good point of when you're taking a case in maybe a new venue or a type of venue that you haven't practiced in before. If, say, you're normally practicing in fairly rural counties and then you have a case in New York City or you're doing something that you're not super familiar with the demographic, I think a focus group is really helpful in that way to get to know what the potential jurors may look like in that specific venue. 
It's also interesting what you mentioned, Mary, about people were basing it on their own salaries. Right. So I guess in that situation, you hope you got a higher earner on your That's journey. what I'm saying. Or, you know, one of them one time, I remember there was a guy in a in-person focus group and he just sat there out loud, was kind of just thinking through it and just thought, if this happened to me, how much money do I think I would need to just survive for the rest of my life? And he was like, well doctor's appointments are really expensive. But then if I'm not working, I have to think about my salary, what I would make. You know, someone threw out a really high number. Someone was like, absolutely not. That's way too much money. And he was like, well, give me a second to think about what I'd actually need. And when you think about damages for someone's lifetime, you know, asking for a larger amount of money is not that crazy. When you think about how much money you spend, even when you go to the doctor for one visit, what that will cost you and even taking time off work and what that means. So it is. It's so interesting to just hear them. And I really like the in-person focus groups because you just learn a lot. But something that I think that you get with the online focus groups is brutal honesty. Yes. I mean, just (laughs) you want to know the worst part about your case. You do an online focus group and you will hear it over and over again (laughs) in ways that you can't even describe how someone thinks about your case or the worst issue in your case. And it also tells you how that person would be speaking in the deliberation room after trial. Like you got to know that that voice is probably going to be in your deliberation room, but it's honest, which I, you know, appreciate Yeah, I think what's most surprising about online focus groups is that I wouldn't have guessed is that I think the majority of people do take it seriously and like actually fill out this stuff. It's not like, you know, at least in like maybe it's undergrad, you had to fill out like surveys for professors or whatever. And you're just like going through (laughs) it because like you have to to get the credit. Good, 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 great, great, great. great. No changes. Right. But like I feel like the people who are doing (laughs) the focus groups online are like really taking it seriously. And it's not something that I would have guessed before having experience with them. So I would encourage it to anyone out there who has a case that they have issues with because you could also submit different theories and see kind of where you're going with your case or like no one's understanding that let's get rid of it meaning it's not necessarily a one-time thing right yes like you can run a focus group whether online or in person or you can do one in person and then know what they talked about and change it up and then submit an online focus group. So you're kind of tightening up the issues or your case as you get closer to trial. I've witnessed this before where an in-person focus group, if somebody knows one of the lawyers or has heard about the situation that you're talking about or the case, we started asking questions now at the beginning of here's kind of an overview of what this is about. Does it sound familiar to anyone? Because if you jump in without asking those questions, you could be in the middle of, you know, witnessing a deliberation and someone will go, I think I know this person actually, and they're a lawyer at this firm. And this is a case about, and they just totally divulge way too much information to the entire group. And the whole thing is, it's kind of like a botched focus group. So that's one thing to take into consideration if you're going to run an in-person focus group, but not so much an issue for one of the online focus groups. So to kind of wrap up this discussion, I want to talk a little bit about what do we do with this information? You know, now we know kind of the rundown. What is a focus group? How do you do it? And after it's done and you either get the surveys back or the day of deliberating for the in-person focus group has ended, 
when we go back to our office with that information, I mean, I can tell you all that the first thing I do is I figure out what percentage of them found for my client versus the defendants. That's the first thing I look at. And the next is kind of what's the median verdict. I really look at those two things and that guides, you know, my next conversation with my client, how I'm going to move forward in the case, especially if there's been a offer to mediate or there's an offer on the table that I, you know, haven't entertained yet. I really use the percentage of finding for plaintiff and the median verdict to kind of guide my next move in the case. I can think of a mediation where during the mediation, we were getting told by the mediator things like this venue doesn't award damages or you're never going to get an amount of money beyond what is already on the table. And that's their position. You know, it's not necessarily a they don't have more money to give you. It's just kind of pushing back on do you really want to take the risk in this venue? And, you know, focus groups are really great for that because then you can tell the mediator, look, we focused this case and we're not concerned with that. And you can kind of divulge as much information as you want or don't want into the details of your focus group. But I've certainly let them know that's not a concern of mine, period, based on, you know, a focus group. But it is kind of helpful to move things along in that regard. Do you share the results of your focus group with your client? You know, it kind of depends on the client and what their interest is in learning about the focus group as well. Obviously, our clients know if we're doing that in a case because we're keeping them up to date. I've had clients before where I have shared that information with them where I think it's helpful for them to kind of get a feel of kind of the numbers that have been thrown around by a focus group to kind of just give them a range or an idea, especially if the client has an expectation of how they view the case will be so obviously the way that everyone else views the case. And, you know, we know it might not work out that way, but it's helpful to give something to them to show that. And then on the flip side, you know, if the focus group returns an incredible verdict for our client, I can disclose that information to the client while also counseling them as to what my opinion is on that and what that means. Could just reinstill the same confidence we had on the case beforehand, but might not change much about the way that we want to go about presenting the case. And with that, we've talked a lot about the logistics of focus groups, but we've really only scratched the surface about the amount of knowledge that we're able to take away from them. So tune in next week for part two, where we really dive into what we've learned from running focus groups, particularly common misconceptions about how deliberations actually work in civil cases at trial. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. You can reach out to us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. See you next week. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury Is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today.